1: brown baby. I am brown
2: baby. I am. I am. Hey there, my name is Nikesh Shukla. Welcome to season one, episode four of the Brown Baby Podcast. A parenting podcast where I ask the question, how do we raise our kids to be joyful and realistic when the world is so bleak and I'm so angry and sad? Each week I have writers and artists and chefs and musicians and the such to come on and talk about their parenting journeys, the highs and the lows and the joys and the realisms of being a parent. It's an honest and open conversation with some of my favourite people. This week is a special episode because this is the second episode I'm dropping this week. It's publication week for the book Brown Baby and I thought I would celebrate with two episodes for you. Previously earlier in the week we had Nadia Hussain but this week is now a chance for you to hear my chat with my dear friend Himesh Patel. But first, please buy the book. Please buy Brown Baby, a memoir of race, family and home. It's out now. It's about my parenting journey and conversations I've had with my daughters about racism, the patriarchy, climate change, mental health, all the stuff that keeps me up at night. It's had a heap of great reviews already and amazing quotes from Nadia Hussain, Bernardine Evaristo, Deborah Francis White, Max Porter, loads of really amazing people. We're in lockdown, so it's hard to get the word out. So if you're a fan of the podcast, please buy the book from wherever you get your books. Anywhere, please just do buy it. There is a link to my bookshop.org affiliate shopfront thing in the show notes. Bookshop.org is amazing because 10% of any sale comes to the affiliate, in which case me and I donate all of my uh, affiliate money to charity. And 10% of the sale goes to a pool that independent bookshops in the UK can Access, which in times of covid is essential so i won't do the hard sell all i'll say is this podcast is free i'd love to keep it free book sales keep the wolves from the door and my kids are scared of wolves okay so to Himesh Patel Himesh is an actor and a writer he contributed an essay to the book I edited The Good Immigrant also he is an amazing actor who started out in EastEnders and has gone on to amazing films like Yesterday a show like The Luminaries and a little film that you may have seen last year called Tenet he is an amazing actor and an amazing person and also not many of you will know but Himesh and his partner had a baby during lockdown he read an early copy of Brown Baby and a lot of what he was thinking about really resonated with him He even read the audiobook of Brown Baby, which is really lovely. So we decided to get together very early on, I must say, into his life as a father to talk about those early days of parenthood. It's a nice, intimate and very personal chat between two friends. I imagine as his kid grows, we'll pick up more conversations down the road in future seasons because there's just so much ground to cover and Himesh is only right at the start. So please listen to Himesh Patel on the Brown Baby podcast. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Himesh Patel. How are you doing?
1: I'm good, man. How are you?
2: I am frazzled, man, if I'm being frazzled. honest. I... Frazzled, yeah. I have, I feel like this stage of lockdown is just a lot of plate spinning and it's a lot of different energy. So it's like, because there's no like outdoors time, <laughs> because it's so fucking cold and rainy in Bristol where we are. I just feel like I'm jumping from Zoom to trying to get some pages down to doing the homeschool thing to like stopping my kids from fighting with each other through to trying to move around because I'm just a sloth at the moment. And I get to the end of every single day and I just I've got this joke with some friends at the moment where like for 4pm in our WhatsApp group, I would just type. Stares at drinks cabinet And that's how I film (laughs) That's how I film most days How about you, how are things?
1: Things are okay, it's a bit crazy I've had a crazy kind of start End to the last year and beginning of this year In terms of the work Everything happened at once Which is great because I feel very privileged to be working But on Boxing Day I went to Boston To shoot um, my part In um, the uh, Netflix film Don't Look Up which was super exciting, but I had to get there and just quarantine for uh, eight eight or ten days, something like that. And so that was really surreal, kind of being away from my family and just just being in this hotel room. For and then, like, it was the weirdest New Year's ever, <laughs> just sat on my own uh, watching Rick and Morty. And then I did that and then I came home for about five days and then me, myself, my partner and, and our and our baby we moved here where we are now to toronto um because i'm shooting station 11 um the hbo series which we started a year ago um before there was any pandemic on the horizon um and uh and now we're continuing our series which is about the survivors of a pandemic so it's all a bit weird really and we're just coming to the the very last day of quarantine so we've been in quarantine for 2 weeks
2: what a mad mad life so i mean i, I don't want to do the whole you know you we're, we're on a, a parenting podcast talking about parenting you you're a very new parent at the moment we've mm. both spent the large part of the previous lockdown talking about fatherhood and now you are a father and you've got this beautiful amazing lovely precious little thing how have has your feelings around fatherhood changed i'm just throwing you straight into the deep end here <laughs> <Should I>, having <laughs> like teed up the thing i'm just like let's just go straight into the deep questions because uh you know we're, we're friends and so this is just like this is yeah. what we would probably talk about rather than it feel like a manufactured interview
0: yeah. um
2: how are you finding fatherhood
1: yeah i mean it's amazing It's a challenge, of course. It's, you know, it's completely new. There's nothing you can really compare it to. And what's interesting is, you know, in the build up to it, there are some people who've had children, thankfully not you, but there are some people who are a bit like, oh, you know, we'll get ready. Your life's over.
0: You know, it's (laughs) gonna be,
1: it's gonna be crazy, uh, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, and you realise that none of that really, if you put that front and center maybe you know if you if you let the fear take hold maybe you'd kind of be overwhelmed by it and of course i have moments of being really overwhelmed by it but at the end of the day there's just an instinct that just kind of takes hold and you just kind of get on with it because what's the alternative you know like the alternative is not doing that and personally i can't really (laughs) imagine not being the very best i can be um giving it my best shot so um it's it's great you know it's it's kind of what we signed up for and so much more
2: it's a weird feeling because i think there's an element of being british that means the longer you are a parent the more you have to do that thing where you think it's the worst you you act like it's such a strain on your life and your time you're like (laughs) someone's like oh how are your beautiful kids you're like oh they're such cunts at the moment like (laughs) when you actually like because actually the 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 real answer the more sincere answer it it just feels so much more precious like something that i Mm. don't really want to share yes it is hard and yes it is tedious and dreary and drudgerous and all the rest of it but it's also hilarious and it's also something that is tender and vulnerable and lovely and Mm. beautiful and uh, it's all of those things, and yet the thing that I d- default to is, oh, yeah, such hard work. I wish I wish I didn't undermine it all the time. Yeah. You've got all of this to look forward to, basically, because this is like a very new thing for you.
1: Yeah. So what you're saying is that ultimately it will uh, start to wear me down, and I'll, all I'll see is <laughs> the drudgery.
2: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Great. Um,
1: well, I can't wait. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you know, it'll it be, you know, the, the best the best, <laughs> the best time of your life. The, you know, the first line of, of the book of Brown Baby, I'm basically undercutting the whole thing by basically going, never thought about being a parent, but then I got drunk at Christmas
0: <laughs> as yeah. a way
2: of kind of talking about how sometimes... These things that you don't plan for, they j- they just sort of happen. And you take them on as a mantle, or you just take them on because that's the thing that you're doing, and you don't necessarily have a plan, and you don't necessarily think it's your spiritual calling, but it's just the thing that you're doing. And there's nothing grander that I can say about it other than that. And I fear fear I'm just sort of doing my daughter's a disservice by kind of normalizing. For,
1: for us, our journey was that we we had planned it, and we, you know, it was a it was something that we'd been meaning to do. But then it's just, uh, unless you do all the research in the world, which I don't know who really has time for that, there's always going to be something that surprises you, and every journey is different, so your uh, personal journeys are going to throw up stuff that no one can prepare you for, and that is something that you have to traverse, you know, together if you're fortunate enough to be in a a partnership, or, you know... uh, on your own if if that's your situation it's uh, but it's such a completely unique um journey for everyone and that's when you realize how incredible it is because you go well i don't know how many babies are born every minute but that's i believe that there's many. one b-
2: there's there's one born every minute uh,
1: fa- famously yes there's <laughs> famously one born there every is minute, one <laughs> yeah. yes uh th- every single one of those babies is, is is a completely unique journey um, unto themselves but also for their parents and that's
2: such a wild thought yeah so it's interesting that you're saying that you this this was a planned thing for you for you both um tell me tell me about wanting kids because it's it's something that sort of just feels quite alien to me in a weird way even though i have two kids i never desired it i never desired to like have a baby i never felt like that was Mm. the thing that was missing and i'm quite intrigued by by it feeling like something that you really wanted to do
1: it kind of just appeared as a as a conversation i was having with my partner obviously the female perspective on this kind of comes into light when we consider the biological aspect of it and obviously the the body clock that's ticking there and i think at the time i was a bit I I was always kind of like say it's something that I wanted to do I think I have maybe had that instinct To want to be a dad or want to have that responsibility But it was something that I wasn't sure when it would happen And I I perhaps and this is something that I think I'm guilty of generally But it's kind of going this has to happen first before that can then happen And so in my Mm -hmm. head I'd kind of been like you know oh I need to do XYZ I need to be, you know, in a a certain place, uh, career-wise, maybe, or financially, or whatever these considerations that we have to make, obviously, when we're thinking about having kids, but that I was like, well, I can't have this conversation now. We can't really seriously start talking about this now, can we? Because X, Y, Z hasn't fallen into place. But then I ended up having a conversation. I was in New Zealand shooting the luminaries. This wonderful friend of mine now, Paulie, his name is, he was uh, driving me from my... Place to to set, and he was also a runner on, and we hung out a lot. It's a great guy, and he had his um, kids quite young, and he was like, you know, man, it's just, you you never have enough money. It's never the right time. You never know what you're doing, and you'll also never regret it. Like it's, it's n- he. It was ex- so refreshingly, even though at that time, I guess I hadn't really had any of the dozens of people who said your life is over but there is still that (laughs) narrative that narrative is quite a popular one isn't it really it's something that we've all heard at some point in our lives that idea of like oh wait till you have kids because otherwise uh, you know your life is not your own anymore and though that is true to a certain extent the way that paulie was talking about it he was like yeah things are different but you've just got a little human being with you for for stuff that you want to do yeah there are considerations to make you know we're not going to be going out getting drunk at, you know, whatever time of night. But there's a line in the sand, you know, that gets drawn and then you just go with it. And I think that was the thing is I kind of went, oh yeah, you kind of just have to go, all right, fine. There's a level of privilege to that as well. You know, I did find myself in a situation where I was like, I, I, I'm i financially able to bear the, you know, the responsibility of a child and, um, you know, personally in a good position for it so there is that consideration Mm. um but emotionally it just kind of i just kind of went yeah sure all right let's do it let's take this leap of faith you know it's such a leap you just kind of go i don't know what i'm diving into here but let's go for it
2: i think it took me a long time to realize that yes certain aspects of my life were over but because i had a long period of mourning those aspects of my life that were over i didn't realize that it was past time for them to be over it was right so the thing certainly for, for for me if i had carried on the way things were living my life the way things were the way i was i don't think i would have been happy i also don't think i would have done projects like the good immigrant i don't think i would have gone back into youth work i don't think i would have spent lots of time like thinking about the future and like what can i what skills do i possess that i can pass on to people in a useful manner and all the all the things that have kind of really dictated my life over the last six seven years for the longest time i thought i was grieving youth or this sort of abstract ideal of youth, maybe this now meant I was old, I was middle-aged, and actually none of that matters because, I don't know if you felt this, but it, I re- really remember a very specific feeling in the first few weeks that my child was alive, where even though I was, what, 34 at the time, I, you know, I was walking around with my kid, trying to get her to sleep, trying to settle her, and I just kept thinking, this isn't right, I am not old enough to be doing this, that I am not responsible enough dad is gonna come he's gonna knock on the door he's gonna just quietly take the kid and just say nikesh go and order us a pizza and put the tv on i will take care of this because i just don't feel responsible enough i don't feel old enough i just felt so out of my i suddenly felt like a little child again i felt like a or no like a child, i felt like a teenager again and 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 it really tripped me out that that's what i was going through in those early days mm. just the sudden like you're not responsible Responsible for this. Maybe it was just my brain's way of going, look, you are in a different stage of your life. That's okay. Whether you're old or not is irrelevant because it's kind of to do with how you feel. I, and actually, you are re- responsible. You're an adult. You're a fucking adult. What's wrong with you? Mm. You pay your council tax every month. You are an adult.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had, I think I've, I, I'm obviously, I'm still going through some of that. You know, I, I'm definitely going through, and I think this is something that I've dealt with just generally in my life is that feeling of going i don't know what i'm doing here i don't know what i'm doing uh i i'm not capable of doing this and i'm failing and that it's a really unhealthy narrative but it definitely has its time when it takes mm. hold um and it's something that i'm generally you know working on trying to you know not mm, have that narrative be as prevalent um, as it has been but in a way something like this i'm glad i'm aware of those narratives that, that those are and that they are just that they're not it's not the truth and mm. so you know because when i think about bringing up my my daughter i i want her to be aware that we're not perfect as parents you know we're not we didn't always know what we were doing in mm. fact maybe we never will really know <laughs> what we're doing and that we are just kind of making it up as we go but that we are also doing our due diligence in terms of, you know, reading books that are recommended or, but also taking care of our own mental health. And, and so I think there's definitely a journey I'm going on there with that, you know, which is a sort of a personal thing, but that will have a direct effect on the way I bring up my daughter. But also, yeah, I, I think for me personally, I've, I've been a bit old beyond my years for quite a while. What I've had there is that I've kind of been old beyond my years, but then there's also been part of me that's gone, so w- you need to do all the stuff that you didn't get to do. You know, because I didn't really have a a particularly raucous teenage years or particularly loud 20s, to be honest. So there's, you know, there's definitely some part of me that's like, but what about all that? You know, But I I think doing something like this kind of makes you go, this, this is it. And uh, you have to trust that you made this choice because that's what you actually wanted and that you don't actually want to be doing any of that other stuff that i don't even know what it is but this idea of youth that we're kind of told Mm. exists and within that narrative of youth there isn't a child you don't have a responsibility whereas i think maybe there is a space in which i can still be youthful in some way but i can also be a dad and that yeah. there's a world in which those two things can exist and maybe that means that maybe that's a positive thing still being responsible still being aware that I'm the adult in the situation and that I have a responsibility towards this person but that I can still be youthful and energetic and and have that for them as well
2: i definitely feel like i come from a generation of the f- the infallible parent like oh, me man. and me and all of my cousins maybe maybe it's something to do with what it is to be from an immigrant background on precarious land where so much value is placed on success as as a marker of like our you know right to be on the land or you know whatever you want to call it which you know I don't I don't necessarily think that's that's right but like my parents were infallible they what they said went and whenever my dad had to have an opinion about what was going on in in our lives that meant that the word is final because most of it was left up to my mum and um, I I think about the stuff, that, the way that my parents raised me and all of the stuff that I'd like to take forward and all of the stuff that I'd like to do an alternate alternate version of and, and I really feel like as my kids are pushing against the world, discovering what the world is, finding their moral compass, finding out what's right and wrong, the worst thing I can be is an infallible parent mm. because i know what a dickhead i am i know <laughs> like i know how many questionable decisions i make a day an hour yeah it, the worst thing in the world would be for me to kind of act like to my kids like my decisions are inscrutable yeah at the same time because why well, I, I present myself as very fallible in front of my kids it does give them every opportunity to question my
1: decisions. <laughs> gives them like bundles of ammunition.
2: Yeah, yeah. So like, if I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, I was a bit like that. Um, I'm just a bit tired today. Then later on, if I get angry with them for something that they've genuinely done that needs to be called upon, they're like, make sure it's not because you're <laughs> because you're a bit tired today, and you're like. A hoist, hoist by my own petard Yeah,
1: yeah, that's so interesting God, I never thought about that Because I've always kind of had this idea that, you know I, I can't wait to get to the point Where I'm just talking to my child as an adult You know, where we are just kind of on a level and that yeah i want i want to be able to show that you know i got i get things wrong as well and but it's it's so much harder than you kind of have these ideas in your head of like well this is how it's going to happen and it's going to be great we're going to be so open with each other and that is still true (laughs) i mean so what are you finding that your kids are are starting to get wise to it so they're starting to like use it against you
2: i'm starting to understand why kids need do need boundaries and parameters and it's about giving them boundaries rather than make it putting myself on the other side of the fence if that makes sense yes so like yesterday my youngest child my, my oldest child is currently really enjoying goading my the, my youngest child right so she'll just take the piss out of her until she reacts and mm. the youngest child reacts as the youngest child always does react like they feel like they're being really being picked upon and uh-huh. and I, I pulled my eldest child up on it yesterday. And she was like, her, her reaction was, it was fu- I found it funny. And I was like, yeah, but <laughs> your sister did not find it funny. And she was like, yeah, but I found it funny. I was like, yeah. But the thing that you have to do is understand that sometimes the things that you say or do that you find funny, other people don't. And if it's upsetting them, then maybe instead of haranguing them, that it's funny you should try and understand why they don't find it funny and um and i realized in that moment that i was like fuck this is the conversation i wish i could have with like all of the right-wing comedians who are like rape jokes a joke (laughs) it's funny it's funny (laughs) right Um, yeah yeah. but uh, but i'm able to communicate this to a six-year-old why can't i communicate this to a a 40-year-old white dude who is a millionaire but th- I mean, that's that's a, an aside. My daughter wasn't quite getting it. So I was like, have there ever been times where I have done something or said something to you and you've not liked it and you've told me that you don't like it? And my daughter was like, yeah, every time you do a loud fart, you always blame me and I don't like it. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> and what do I do? I always say I'm sorry. And then I realised in that moment, oh my God, this is how my daughter is like framing her moral compass around examples of like me going... Uh, you farted. <laughs> what, what
1: <laughs> that's the harrowing flashback in her bio. Yeah, pic. yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's that's gonna come up in a, in therapy for like twenty <laughs> years time. She's gonna be like, yeah, like I I just ha- I just feel this real sense of um, worthlessness because uh, my father used to walk into a room, do a loud <laughs> fart, blame me, and walk out. I just don't feel like I'm in control. No. <laughs> like imagine imagine that was. Uh, I mean, if that is what she's bringing up in therapy, I feel like I would have done a good job, probably. Seemingly harmless, yeah. Seemingly harmless, yeah.
3: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort.
2: I wanted to go back to something you said earlier. I'm kind of fascinated by this, the fact that you, you this is something that you've been really open to, possibly because you've been... I know you say oh, I'm wise b- b- before, b- before my time or I'm wise beyond my years, but actually I just think it's like there's a level of maturity to you that I guess comes from the fact that you, you were you know a teenager in the adult space very quickly you know Mm. you're also someone who spent loads of time by themselves as a child and and all the rest of it like is the construction of family and all the rest of it is that sort of construction of stability something that you've just always felt this is something that I want to do because I've kind of had quite an unorthodox upbringing and you know did like you were in EastEnders from the age of what 16.
1: Yeah I think I think that might be true yeah I think it's it's certainly some semblance of creating something that you're proud of that you're that you can have continue to have a hand in shaping that's probably got a lot to do with it I, it was yeah obviously a very unorthodox life just generally mm. and i wonder whether obviously part of that is the is being the child of immigrants and being part of that as you grow older especially you realize how obviously growing up that's just your normal mm. but then you grow um, into an adult and you, and especially for me, because I, I, I didn't have that much experience of other arenas growing up. I, 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 I was, uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't have much of a social life <laughs> as a teenager. It wasn't deeply unhealthy, but it wasn't particularly busy. And so I, I, f- it, it remained normal to me for quite a long time. Mm. probably until i moved to london at the age of 21 to be honest with you that was only when i started to realize the gulf in experience in lived experience between me and and so many other people
2: it's something you describe really beautifully in your essay in in the good immigrant where you talk about um this sort of sense of alienation that you had growing up in um you know, quite a rural village in Cambridgeshire and being on the fringes of a South Asian community that you'd see very, very occasionally. But for the most part, your everyday life until you started in EastEnders was, you know, being the only Asian family in the village and um, mm. spending a lot of time feeling quite othered because people don't really you didn't fit, fit into any easy, easily identifiable box. And you were also sort of forging your own identity for yourself. And I think the thing that you really really nail in um, in your essay in the Good Immigrant was this feeling that you move to London, you suddenly meet lots of people who kind of look like you. They 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 sort of fit into community that you want you feel like you're a part of, but you also feel like you're a little bit behind everyone else because they've already had all this, they've already grown up with with all this stuff, and you feel slightly it, then you slightly feel on the outside of that. And I thought that was a really really beautiful but sort of sad. Um, thing that you described in that essay
1: you kind of struggle to draw parallels between yourself and others i mean i think so much of connection is about going you know oh same and i not there weren't that many people i could do that with <laughs> there weren't many people who were going to be like oh you grew up in a village in cambridgeshire as well you're the only fa- asian family in the village as well oh cool and then you didn't you were on eastenders at the age of 16 too great oh there aren't <laughs> that many people you're gonna and then it's like, oh, you stayed at home and did the paper round until you were 21. Me too. Like, there's <laughs> not <laughs> you're not going to get that much. And also then you obviously then I moved to London. And in terms of people my own age, most of them hadn't had the privilege of being on a TV show at the age of 16 and therefore not having to go to university or, you know, if they'd chosen to do that. But I think perhaps there are aspects of things that I missed out on by not going down that road that maybe would have opened me up to worlds you know i know from from the experience of my sister for example you know having grown up in the same context as me when she went to university uh, things you know she, she obviously world worlds opened up to her and changed her life and um though i had that obviously through doing what i was doing i was kind of in one place you know when you're on a show like you you're in one place you're not able to go and do that job over there and this job over here and And then when I did eventually do this job over here, it turned out to be our short film, Two Doses, and it did open up a whole world for me and led to everything. But I didn't have a lot of that growing up. You're looking for it somewhere. Mm. But at the same time, what I'm very proud of is, and I think it was instilled in me from my parents, was a a sense of always being true to yourself Mm. and your values and not ever reneging on your values just to fit in and i think that's something that i've always had and though part of it was probably fear of judgment and the sort of the the shame and the stuff that we we tend to grow up with as children of immigrants i think part of it was also just going and i don't want to i don't want to do that just to fit in you know um and i think that's probably what led me to being a bit kind of old beyond my years um, I don't know how wise beyond my years I was, but I was definitely old beyond my years, uh, in the sense of kind of going. I I don't really know what's what's going on here, but you know, and I'll have my fun when I when I feel like it. But I'm not gonna do something just because everyone my age tells me it's the right thing to do. Um, and maybe that's what led me to feeling I was ready to be a dad at what is a relatively early age
2: or, or not an early age you know depending on perspective like i think that that whole thing is so so mixed around like you know my parents didn't have me until i was 30 uh, no <laughs> my parents didn't have
1: me <laughs> <until>. <laughs> wow they didn't yeah. have you until you were 30 that's i
2: know there's some strange morgan mindy <laughs> vibes going on there no that um my dad my dad was 30 when my my mum was 29 uh when i was born uh, and that was seen as quite late and every now and then i'll get a snapshot of like they really enjoyed their 20s like they really made sure they enjoyed their 20s yeah and then when i came about they were just that was just the stage of the life that they were in and then things changed. but in terms of the how the rest of the family felt like they had me very late which mm. weird because you know the way you're describing it now like you you had your kid like when my dad would when when my dad had me right um at like the similar stage in your life and that that sort of transition period that we're kind of we're kind of talking about there's like this sort of cosmic thing that i don't really know how to articulate so i'm going to move on from it With before i say anything way too wanky <laughs> <Put it out laughs> into the ether. Um, so you're an actor what's that like <laughs> quick segue Sweet. sorry no
1: so you're saying cosmic thing Go on. <laughs> uh,
2: no I, I i don't quite know what i'm trying to articulate i i think it's basically like i don't think it's a particularly early age to have a kid yeah
1: i think i i mean yeah and i wonder you know i i I don't know what the stats are i suppose but maybe it's an idea we've again i've been fed by the media or or whatever just the the idea of men having their children later on a personal level especially once you just make the choice if you if you're lucky enough to be able to make the choice then you you kind of just go okay this is it we're gonna make this choice and we're gonna we're gonna try and have a kid
2: hmm
1: and then especially when, you know, if you're fortunate enough to then get pregnant, then you're like, right. It's like, a, I don't know how you found it, but it's like stages of, maybe stages of acceptance. You kind of go, okay, we're trying, great. And then, w- oh, we're pregnant, great. And then that just builds for nine months <laughs> until <laughs> eventually this this human being appears, you know.
2: Well, at some point during those nine months, uh, your partner's like, stop saying we're pregnant. You're not pregnant. Yeah, you're like, sure, we have those. we we're, yeah. we're, we're sorry. You're, <laughs> r- you're, you're right. We're,
1: <laughs> um, we're sorry if you feel that you're pregnant. Um, yeah. So it's um it's such a crazy journey, kind of going. One of my best friends, he w- oddly his his son was born almost exactly a year before my daughter, and so I've got this kind of telegraph ahead of me of like what's coming, you know. But he was like it really only hit home when he was holding his son in his arms. You know, it was like, oh, oh, this is it. Like, here we go. Even though you knew it was coming, it wasn't like a complete shock, obviously, but there's something that doesn't unlock until they arrive.
2: Yeah, tot- I, I, I guess definitely for for the father, it, it becomes real in that moment. Like, it, you know, it's definitely, you know, obviously the first chapter of the, the, this book is sort of describing that moment where yeah. I was like, you know, upst- just upstairs in, in in what is now their bedroom just staring out the window with this kid in my arms and I was just looking out into, out of the window that I looked out of every single fucking day of my life and yeah. everything in the world was happening exactly as it should be. Everything was ordinary. Nothing was out of place except me. And yeah. uh, and it was just so, this sort of mad cosmic thing Uh, there's just mad Hmm. feeling that like the world keeps on turning and you know we're the ones that change but the world will keep turning and um i guess i'd not really considered that about time before and to kind of go back to the thing that you said earlier like about thinking about how we kind of take care of ourselves when we're trying to take care of our kids. Like a a really amazing thing that a friend said to me once was when airplanes lose cabin pressure and the oxygen masks fall down, they tell you to fix your own oxygen mask on before helping people around you. Mm. And, and I certainly felt like for the longest time I was so deep. I was so destabilized by, um, the early months of having a baby, um, that I kept for- forgetting to put my own oxygen mask on. Hmm. And when people tell you it changes so quickly, you, I, I always thought when people said, it's just everything changes so quickly, like constantly changing. And at the time, because I had my oxygen mask on, I constantly thought, fuck you. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: I did it. Fuck you. Like, this is not helpful. And and actually like years later I can look back on it and go actually that was probably the most helpful thing that anyone said to me was that everything changes so fast and the mm-hmm. moment you adjust to a new state of things they go through a new de- developmental stage and like
1: mm-hmm.
2: suddenly you're back in sleep progression just when you thought you'd nailed it or like yeah. they t- change up their behavior and then you're like oh my god I don't understand. Um, and it like messes with your brain and you're sleep deprived and you're not thinking through things rationally and so actually the worst thing that someone can say to you in the moment is everything changes so fast just be in the moment of the thing that is happening right now otherwise you will forget it because you're worrying about getting to the next stage mm. and this is a very roundabout way of saying I saw a video I I, I was just sort of scrolling back and I watched a video my first kid from like six years ago that i'm in just lying next to her and she's like staring into space and i'm like looking at her and i do not recognize myself in that moment Mm. i look at the shirt that i'm wearing and i'm like yeah i got rid of that because you know fatherhood puts the pounds on (laughs) no longer <laughs> and I can see in my eyes That I'm looking at her with utter love And adoration and all the rest of it But I do not recognise that moment As something that's happened to me And that's something that really eats me up inside That I wasn't mm. present enough in that moment To preserve it
1: But would you not say that the very act of being present Means that you're not necessarily recording it For later use Do you know what I mean? Like that's why yeah. it was recorded on video But you're never really going to Because the whole thing of being present is There is no I'm not necessarily going to be able to lock this moment away and recall it.
2: Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think what I I think what I was feeling in watching it back was I don't remember this happening. Yeah. And watching it, I, I feel on the outside of it. I don't watch it, and you know, like every now and then you can look at a photograph or a video, and you can put yourself back into that moment and go, Oh yeah, I remember that. When yeah, that right, 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 yeah it's just in those early moments because like everything was so manic and chaotic and crazy Mm -hmm. i just felt on the outside of the moment and that kind of that made me sad or but isn't that just the trick of memory like what
1: i will never forget is the night that my partner went into labor and it all happened and then the morning in the morning our daughter arrived and the day before felt like months ago like that line in the sand, I've never felt anything like it before, and I don't think it was just the fact that I'd been up all night, but <laughs> there was just such a clear m- divide in time, and that felt like months ago everything that came before just felt like a whole other lifetime and in a way it is i suppose but but then yeah I, there are moments then like that i w- i it all feels quite c- close by now especially because of everything that I talked about at the beginning, like the manic kind of time that I've had and that we've kind of been going through. But there will come a time, yeah, when I look back on it and it, I, I won't recognise it. I guess,
2: interestingly, you had those those weeks of isolation to kind of reflect on those things that had come before and you've got stuff yeah. that to tang- tangibly hold on to. Yeah, it's um, been a
1: really interesting sort of aspect of the whole thing, being in quarantine, well, going through everything during this mad year that we've all had.
2: Just to kind of close up, I wanted to ask you about the future because I mean, obviously you're, you're a very new parent. So, you know, yeah. we should definitely have another chat later on down the line about all of this yeah. stuff. But so much of what I am concerned with at the moment in the way that I, th- I, we think about raising our kids is the world <laughs> seems so fucked mm-hmm. and everything seems bleak. And you know you and I are recording this on a day where the death toll in of from the COVID-19 pandemic has hit like such an unimaginable number for such a small country that everything feels really heavy and yet we have these precious beautiful brilliant blank slates who we want to raise with joy and boundlessness and ambition and But also prepare them for the world because I don't want to lie to them about what the world is like. No. So I know this is very, very early days for you, but how are you thinking that you will talk to your kid about what the world is? How will you prepare her for what lies ahead?
1: Yeah, it's a really important question and it's something that I'm uh, still considering day to day. As things unfold in the world, um, and I suppose perhaps it's been something that I've, I've kind of maybe been considering for longer than, than, um, than usual because of everything we've been going through. You know, we've been going through this p- pandemic and I, I never thought it would be over by the time she arrived. So I was like, okay, is that gonna be okay? Like, are we gonna is that going to be is it going to go on long enough that she'll remember it hopefully not but phew. and what things are going to be normal to her existence that w- wouldn't have been before all of this happened and how will we talk to her about how crazy the world was when when she came into it and everything that happened while she was in the womb and down to coronavirus of course but George Floyd and and that history and and the guy who was president when she was born, which breaks my heart to say that that's that's the case. But at least now he's not president. And what do we? But then there's still this guy as prime minister. And in a way, you kind of go, well, maybe that's a starting point. It's just going. This is what the world was like when you came into it, and this is. And I can only you know continue reading on. You know why. Is the way it is And 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 like you say in your book There has to be hope Because the alternative isn't worth thinking about there You have to lead with hope like I don't think there can be There are always going to be times Where it seems bleak And yes the structures Within which we exist Often only seem to reinforce The idea that We're fighting a losing battle because of XYZ But within, at least within the four walls of your own home You kind of have to be like, there's hope Within our family, amongst our friends, there's hope And we kind of have to try and bring that into the world Um, But also you don't want to put pressure on them to be that beacon of hope, you know you don't want to kind of be like, it's your turn now. Like, I don't know what we guys did, but you guys have got to fix it because th- that's not particularly healthy either, I don't think. But all you can do is lead by example, I suppose. So that's when it comes back to who do I want to be as a person, as a father. How do I lead by example and 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 do that?
2: Yeah, it's funny to have this conversation with you as you are about to make a... TV mini series, limited series sorry um, about um, what it how humanity rebuilds itself in the aftermath of a, a global mm. pandemic and um, you know not to spoil station 11 the book by Emily St John Mandel for people who haven't read it yet um, and obviously read it and watch the show but what it comes down to I think that she the point that she gets to in this sort of really wonderful humane book about what it is to exist is sometimes it's 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 about the power of stories that keep us going Mm. and give us empathy and give us hope and also um take us to places we dare not dream of but also show us reflections of who we could be and i think that's that's all we can strive for sometimes
1: yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, we should say something really, really funny so we don't end on such a down before the end of the <laughs> podcast. Um,
1: hey, that so is cos- cosmic um, vibrations. Uh, we don't talk about cosmic vibrations.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been turning into a hippie in lockdown three, smoking smoking <laughs> weed and playing PlayStation Four <laughs> games. Um <laughs> no, just uh before we go, um, what is the best advice that you've received as a parent and what is the most useless advice you've received as a parent?
1: <laughs> um well, the best advice someone said uh the best advice I'll give you is don't listen to anyone's advice.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very good bit of advice. Which was great.
1: Um which is great in the fact that A it gives you the I- idea of going I'm not going to listen to b- anyone's advice or, or at least I'm not going uh, to kind of like m- Make any of it Rules that I have to live by Th- I'll take the idea of it That's fine But also the fact that it stops you From being the person who does that now that we're parents We don't want to be doing that Because oddly we It has to be said I don't know if it's the same for everyone we know about six other people who are having babies now. Strangely, it, it could be, um, a, you know, pandemic thing. I don't know. But, but
2: pe- people got very bored during <laughs> lockdown. <laughs> yeah, they decided to, uh, you know, maybe they couldn't leave the house to buy condoms. I don't know. Um, anyway, but we, it, but, but isn't it a thing at times of uncertainty? The thing that the thing that you do is like an act of certainty. People have had kids before. Kids act as tethers and they um you know there's something very grounding about them that kind of make everything that you're doing and being real so like i can understand why you know that isn't that the whole thing about the boomer generation like those baby boomers came in the aftermath of of war and like and recession and stuff and um people had kids as a way of like coping Mm -hmm. with certain things i'm maybe making it, so. No, yeah, I yeah. I
1: can see the logic in it. It'd be interesting to see the data I suppose when it all kind of, you know, within the first year of this all. But it it does kind of mean that we don't that bit of advice of not listening to anyone's advice kind of means that we also then don't want to be the kind of people who go, oh you've got to get this thing and this is the way to do it and um you've got to do this, you've got to do that, which you uh, do get you know, quite a lot of from people and as I said earlier, it's such a unique thing. What mm. you can do is if asked to be honest you can mm. kind of talk about your own experience but there are no certainties and there's no one way i think the worst bit of advice i got from someone was to make sure that i get uh that i build a man cave <laughs> which is a concept which is a concept that i really <laughs> struggle with a, a man cave like why is everything within this space (laughs) exclusively a male thing
2: (laughs) it's rubbish Uh,
1: you know i don't know i it's an odd concept but then for that to also be a bit of advice in the face of impending fatherhood i found very confusing
2: himesh patel thank you very much thank you Thank you so much to you for listening. Thank you to Bluebird, to my publishers, and to Acast, and to Himesh. Please buy the book. Remember to like and subscribe and rate the podcast. Tell your friends. Text your friends. I've been wanting to say this for months, but brown baby, my memoir is now out. I hope you buy it. See you next week, where we'll be back with Kit Dewal. Thank you.
1: Goodbye. Brown baby, I am brown baby. Yes, I am, I am.
3: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more